Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kolzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And, uh, Noel... Uh, how is it going this week? How is, uh, uh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kate, I've applied for so many jobs this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. I hear On you. top of everything else. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just all of it. Yeah. Life. Just, yeah. 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 There's, um, there's, there's just, there's a lot going on. It's, it's a lot. Um, we, this week are going to talk about some different new stuff that we have not been talking about recently. Uh, I wanted to mention, I forgot um, last time, but um, Ben put a comment at the website with, because we did our best of the decade yes, a, a while back. That was episode uh, 430. And that was for other various reasons, but also it was prompted by one of our listeners, Ben. Um, and Ben said, since I was one that pushed for your best of the decade segment, it's only fair I should post my list. It took me, it only took me six months to do it. So here it is to be mercilessly criticized. I did it in a, like a week, Ben. Yeah. Well, he did a hundred. He did so I many. Did almost a hundred. <laughs> I didn't rank them or anything. I just, Tiered them. Tiered them. Yeah, he's got he's got um, fifty one through one hundred are in alphabetical order. You can find okay. all this listeners at the website for the the post for episode four hundred thirty. Um, then then it's every ten. So do you want the top ten or the top twenty? There's a lot of excellent choices. Like no, just are all give me the top choices. ten. Top ten. We've got ten to one. Um, and you're not going to agree with a whole bunch of these, but that's, that's okay. Fine. I never do. Ten is justified. Sure. N- nine is girls. Okay. Eight is Horace and Pete. Seven. How about Horace and Pete? Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Seven is Rectify. Okay. Six is Enlightened. Yeah. Five is Chernobyl. Okay. Then four is Twin Peaks. The movie? That's That doesn't belong on your list. The, the Return. You know it's it. It's a movie, apparently. You, that doesn't belong on a the, TV yeah, list. Yeah, it's a 10-hour movie. Whatever. You, ugh, it's so frustrating. Okay. Then the top three. Um, This is... Is Three is just... the leftovers, two is Breaking Bad, and one is the Americans. <laughs> I mean, that is exactly what I would expect, and I I don't hate any of that. Um, <laughs> I'm just not... glad it's not Game of Thrones. Like, yeah, that's... it's not Game of Thrones. No, I yeah. mean he's got he's got Hannibal at twelve. He's got Bunheads in his top twenty. Right. There's got there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that that we, we love in here. Um, yeah. I mean, I love all of those shows that I've seen. I have not seen Chernobyl still, but, you know, the, of the things that he has there that I've seen, I am very much on board with all of them. So I, I like the, the different genres. I like that we've got like Justified yeah. right next to Rectify. Right. You know, like it, it. Yeah. It's very drama heavy, but that's his jam. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so you can go check out Ben's extensive list. Um, like I you know, I had Crazy Ex-Girlfriend higher than number 21, but I love that it's on the, in the top 25. That's great. Adventure Time also in the top, in the top 25. So, so, you know, these are, there's some things that we are definitely on board with. So thank you, Ben, for sharing your list. Listeners, again, go check it out over at, uh, episode, the post for episode 430. And, uh, yeah. 
It's, it's just like making me remember more shows that I love, you know, like I'm not the only one who had Treme love on their list. Yay. Um, but, and also maybe I should check out some of these other ones. He's got the secret circle on here. Uh, I still haven't seen that. He's oh, got that, that one season show from the CW. Yeah. Lots of people love that show. <laughs> um, he's got Cora on there, which of course we love, but there's also like sweet vicious is on here. Vita's on there. Alias grace is on there. Yeah, Queen Sugar. It's not just us, Noel. Ben also watches Queen Sugar. So this is very exciting. So, yes, there's a bunch of, of really great picks. So everybody go check that out. Uh, in news, there is various uh, news going on. We're going to start with some renewals. Uh, Stargirl was renewed for Season 2, but it's going to be only at the CW for Season 2. And it's not going to be on DC Universe anymore because a lot of people will be watching it there anyways. But currently it airs on DC Universe first and then goes to the CW. Any thoughts on this? I mean, I'm not surprised. Uh, it was weird that it was on going to be on DC Universe for months. I thought it was actually going to be on CWC, and my partner and I actually got into an argument about it because uh-huh. it didn't make sense for it to be on CWC. But I kept insisting that it was not actually supposed to like be on CWC, and then they just moved it to the CW. Mm-hmm. Totally forgetting about the DC Universe uh, streaming platform, which, in my defense, <laughs> no one else remembers either. Yeah. Well, my main question is, if we're not going to really have things beyond DC Universe anymore, who can we please move Harley Quinn over to like HBO Max or something so that I can watch it? That would just be really nice. I mean, they already moved Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol over. Yeah. There's no reason not to move the rest of it over. Just, you know, keep Crunchyroll a separate service, please. And thank you. <laughs> um, over on Netflix, Dead to Me has been renewed for a third and final season. Ozark has been renewed for a fourth and final season. On Hulu, The Grey has been renewed for season two. Rami's been renewed for season three. Legendary just got renewed for a second season this week. They had their finale this week. Um, John Mulaney, The Sack Lunch Bunch, will be doing two specials over on Comedy Central and Comedy Central is like completely changing up their approach, which I was surprised by. Yeah, Yeah, there's a big vulture piece. And I recommend if you're interested in the ins and outs of the television industry to go check this out. They're totally overhauling what they're doing, everything. They're basically dropping a lot of live action scripted programming in favor of doing a lot more movie development. Um, So thinking more along the lines of like Hallmark and Lifetime in terms of doing like movie events sort of deals. And this is a cost efficient because then they don't have to sink a lot of money into a 10 episode thing. Uh, but then it also allows them to continue to develop talent that they can use. The other thing that is really central to the discussion in that piece um, is that Comedy Central is no longer thinking of itself as a cable channel, but as a platform of sorts that just happens to be on cable. Uh, so they're looking for ways to that their programming is larger brand extensions, basically, and how that all kind of works together. It's really, really interesting. There's a lot of like nonsense business buzzwords type stuff in there, but it's still really good. Um, the other big takeaway, in addition to them poaching the sack lunch bunch from Netflix, is that the daily show is going to be expanded to an hour oh. uh, by the end of the year. Yeah, because that's they're a big they're change. they're betting real heavily on Trevor Noah being like the new face of this revamped Comedy Central, in part because of how well Comedy Central, uh, how well The Daily Show does on YouTube and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're really emphasizing him as sort of a the new face of Comedy Central, which I think is a really cool idea. One of the things that I also kind of took issue with, which is a silly thing to take issue with, but. 
they really emphasize the new the new guy who's running Comedy Central uh, really emphasize that they're going after Generation Z and Zoomers and that kind of a thing um, with their new programming and approach. To which I said, "Wait, no! I recognize all the people that you're looking to talent acquire talent from, including like John Mulaney. Um, Charlemagne the God's uh, mm-hmm. talk show is probably going to be on Comedy Central by before the election. They're really trying to make it happen." But going through the list of talent that they're looking to develop, I recognize all the names, and that's not what happens. That's not. Um, that means they are millennials. They are not actually going after Z. Yeah. Yeah, it means you're targeting millennials, um, which shouldn't be too hard to do. I know, like, uh, plenty of Gen Zers who are probably like really into Mulaney just because he's been gift so much. Mm-hmm. But when I go through your list and I recognize all the names and I don't see the words from YouTube yeah. in your thing or from Twitch, I just immediately go, you are actually not looking to attract Gen Zers. You're just looking to attract their older siblings. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're, yeah. So it, I'll be curious to see what they do to actually go after Gen Z. Um, but their initial like reorganization screams, we're actually going after millennials. Mm-hmm. We just don't want to use that word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because no one likes millennials, which I mean. Fair enough. Fair. Yeah. Um, we have also Katie Keene, which is canceled at the CW. Yes. It's been a while since they canceled a thing. So that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. But I, I really do wonder with given Katie Keene getting canceled and also the announcement that uh, Sabrina is going to be done after this season that drops um, later this year. If there's just something weird going on with that division of the Warner rights. Brothers Television and yeah. with the sh- with those shows in particular. I think Riverdale will be fine for a while because that's a, that's a solid performer for the CW. But I'm wondering if something's going on with the Archieverse corner of, the, um, of Warner Brothers Television. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, our next bit of news is that uh, Batwoman has announced who their new Batwoman is going to be. And yes, listeners, I maintain everything about the character description for this character it's is bad. terrible, and it's, it's compounded now. <laughs> it's, it's even more. It's just it's really really bad. But they have cast uh, Javisa Leslie, uh, Javisia Javisia. I don't know if it's a Sia or a Sha. Javicia Leslie, um, who I know from God Friended Me as the the sister, the older sister. Oh, that's um, who this is. Okay. Yeah. And she's really good. I really like her. Yeah. Um, so I think that's great. I'm just like, okay, you're trying, you're, you've, they immediately with the announcement of the casting and the first ever, you know, the fact that they're casting the first ever Black Batwoman, um, they got a lot of goodwill from that. And I'm very excited about this actor because she's very, I mean, what I've seen, she's very good. Yeah. However, um, the like the character description is still terrible. <laughs> yeah. So you give a good actor a terrible character, that's not going to be good. So we'll. I mean, for me, this it's good casting for someone to bring on, but like a good 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 actor to cast, but that doesn't fix any of the underlying problems of why it's a terrible idea to just like introduce a brand new person as Batwoman. Yeah. And the character description for Ryan Wilder, Wild, Wilder, I yeah. think is the name, which yeah. I, I want them to keep Ryan. I don't need the Wilder. Um, but the whole character description for that can very easily be adjusted, hopefully, because it's real bad emphasizing like the drug running and yeah. sort of like the life of crime and the violence. And it's like, 
none of this is okay. Yeah. And also maybe hire more black people to write on your show. And also CW do a lot more to be proactive in protecting and managing that star image because you've done really poorly by Candace Patton. Yep. Yeah. So um, what I was uh, slightly happy to see was that people talking about um, this casting uh, made a point instead of like they did when Batwoman was announced initially by saying, that's the first uh, queer lesbian character, like superhero character. And meanwhile, Anissa Pierce is right over there, guys. You know, Thunder exists, right? So here I usually saw people saying she will be along with Anissa, another Mm -hmm. uh, queer superhero. The actress is by the character I think is going to be queer. Um, So that on a representational standpoint, that is great. But like, I'm still... (laughs) I'm excited about that actor, but I am still very concerned about what it'll mean for Batwoman. Um, on a more serious note, we you know should have mentioned last week, but we did not. The passing of Carl Reiner, a absolute giant in the yes. world of TV. Uh, his whole career, I mean, film as well, but he started out on TV. He was one of the writers for uh, your show of shows. Um, he was he didn't he write for Mary, um, the Dick Van Dyke show? Yes, and he was on the Dick Van Dyke show. As well. Yeah, oh yeah, he was like one of the bosses or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, terrific. It was just, like, absolute legend. Um, So that's, you know, obviously it is less surprising when someone who is, you know, in his 80s and 90s passes away. Uh, But certainly uh, someone, if you have not seen his work in TV, it is well worth seeking out. It, it, like, the Dick Van Dyke show holds up so well. (laughs) It shouldn't. But it really does. No, it's 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 a very sad loss and I'm I was very pleased with like the outpouring of celebration of Reiner's career and his life and his deep deep friendship with Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. Um particularly the fact that they always got together to watch Jeopardy is by far and away one of the best things I have ever heard. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's just, you know, like he he has things he he did a voice in 2019. So his first credit is 19 like 50. Mm-hmm. And his last credit is 2019. So yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um so uh, yeah, much respect to to Carl Reiner. Um oh, I forgot that he was in Angie Tribeca. Like yes. a couple years ago too. Oh. Um and of course we uh there is there's news recently of the disappearance and presumed drowning of Naya Rivera. We don't have, there's, as of when we're recording this, there is nothing official. Uh, like they have not found a body. They have not found her. Uh, the people, uh, the, the people who are doing the search fear the worst. Um, and they and have yeah. reason to suspect. So, it's so shifted from search to recovery, which is a yeah. different thing. Yeah. Yeah. So if we get more information about that, we will talk about it then, but certainly, um, our, you know, my thoughts are with that family. I can't imagine, like, they found the her four-year-old son by himself in a boat. Um, it's horrifying. So yeah. uh, we will talk more about that when we get more information, if we do. Uh, but we also wanted to talk today uh, about something else that's going on that um, is complete, uh, something that's going on is complete bullshit. And that's friend of the show, Emily uh, uh, Vanderwerf, is dealing with targeted harassment on Twitter and social media um, from, you know, a bunch of trolls, I guess you could say. I just 
terrible people. Free sent her speech away. social warriors. Yeah, no, they're free assholes. Spe- they're assholes. Tell you know, sending her death threats and all sorts of other things. Terrible um, harassment. Um, they were sent her away by Jesse Single and others. Um, and obviously, we are supporters of Emily. We think she's amazing. And she's been on your show multiple she's, times. She's yes, been, she's been yeah. on a friend of the show. She's mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. And um, even as the thing is, I was, I was writing my tweet about it and it's like, she's a brilliant and kind and wonderful person. And I'm like, even if she was terrible, this wouldn't be okay. Correct. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely horrible what she's dealing with. And, um, you know, again, sending Emily strength and oh, I mean, just, I can't, I just don't understand. I, I, I've given up trying to understand what it takes as free as a person to feel like that is an appropriate thing to say to someone or those that is, this is appropriate behavior. It's just, yeah, Emily's great and screw all the people that are harassing her. Yeah, pretty much. Um, trans women are women, trans men are men. Yeah. Fuck off everyone else. Yeah. In terms Basically. of don't think that. Yeah. Yep. And you can stop listening. I'm sure anybody who doesn't believe yeah. that trans women are women and trans men are men are are not listening because of our terrible liberal <laughs> agenda here on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but in case you're still out there, you can fuck off, please, um, if you've got a problem with that. So today we're going to be spotlighting at the end of the show uh, the, the first season. Well, what I presume will be the first season of The Babysitter's yeah. Club on Netflix, assuming it gets renewed at some point. Um, so that'll be coming at the end of the show. That was a, a fun conversation. Um, but now it we're going to take a break and we're going to listen to some Deke Squad. And, <laughs> and be Don't right back. you forget about me. Yeah, definitely. Deke definitely wrote that song. At least for another year. <laughs> we'll be right back with our Weekend TV after this. That was one of our lovely performances from Deke Squad on this week's episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. More on that in a bit. This week we're going to kick off our Week in TV with Jelly's Marble Run. Two episodes, Funnel Endurance and Newton's Cradle. Uh, then we're going to talk about Holy Moly 2, the sequel, Love at First Stroke. Before I'll give a few thoughts on the legendary finale. This week they had, uh, they dropped both Atlantis and Heaven and Hell. Then we're going to talk Drag Race All-Stars, Snatch Game of Love. And then head over for a couple genre shows, uh, Stargirl, Shiv Part 2, and Agents of shield the totally excellent adventures of mac and the d which like it's yeah yeah anyways it's, it's delightful more on that later first up is jelly's marble run uh noel how excited are you about the fact that they are now doing two episodes a week sundays and thursdays i'm very excited um i can't i'm just i can't contain it what i'm not excited about is how well your rangers are doing <laughs> yeah 
It's pretty great. <laughs> it's not okay. I mean, you relish and enjoy For that now. one point lead you currently have because it will go away very soon. Yeah. Um, what did you think about these events? Uh, the Fallen Endurance, obviously, we're big fans of that one. Yes. Um, so it was it was very exciting because they you know anything can happen with that one. We they can it's so exciting. You can go through like three funnels really quickly. And this one, I like that there was that there were different shapes and sizes of funnels. You yes, could really, that's a new thing that started. Yeah, yeah. I liked those extra wide green ones. I thought that was interesting. Um, and. And the fun thing about it is that you can go straight through a couple of them and then just, like, get into a swing, like, get into a good pattern uh, and stay for, like, way longer than anticipated on one of the, on the very next funnel or just hang out in the last funnel. Just get bumped a couple times and maintain your, you know, momentum and stay in the last funnel and just base, squeak out a victory at the end. So it's a fun, it's a fun um structure for a for a heat as it were um so i that one was pretty fun the uh newton's cradle was a new concept i wouldn't have thought of that i liked how sciencey it was and that mm-hmm. by like the third one i was i'm like watching it and uh observe and, and like assessing as is like oh well clearly there's too much side to side motion they're not they're not they don't even have a prayer um but i really appreciated the way that they showed that the way they filmed it with like having the line, uh, like rewinding back, showing the apex of the motion and exactly where the line was on uh, and versus the other competitors. I'm curious how they measure that. They must have like a like a little setup there, like a rig to tell them exactly how far that is going because it's very detailed. Right. They probably have they probably have like a laser setup. Yeah. Um, like a series of lasers, I would assume. Um, that they use to demark that. Um, I have to assume. I, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that as well. Um, but yeah, um, one of the things I've really enjoyed overall, spending a lot of time with Marble Run <laughs> and this season, cur- this league com- competition currently, is the ways in which they very actively and become increasingly proficient with using sports television aesthetics and motifs. Um the idea of an instant replay, a slow-mo replay of those lines that you were talking about, with which is just pure sports aesthetic of, did they quite get there? Did they not? Um, all of that is just really great. And seeing it used to discuss marbles again just speaks to the ways in which all of these discussions and all of these conceptions of what we consider sports can be transplanted into something really silly like marble competitions mm-hmm. um so it's been really fun to watch that play out and watch the show in particular grow and develop the youtube channel i should say grow and develop in the way that they use like chirons the ways that they use the replay and everything um because if you go back and watch some of the earlier ones it's just it's not as good mm-hmm. um but the, they've grown a lot and i really like that um the newton's cradle event is just really fun like you said um I hadn't. I don't think they had done this one before. They had. They hadn't done it in a while, and just the fun of trying to figure out, like you said, oh, they went too much side to side motion, or the ways in which you kind of went, whoa, the striker really bounced back really far after they hit the cradle, and the you start to figure out the game sense of it, and that's really fun for an audience member as well. I I love Funnel Endurance. It's my favorite event because of how quickly things can change. Um, and I also like that it's whoever lasts longest wins as opposed mm-hmm. to whomever is through fastest. 
Um, it's it's just all really, really good. And my Minty Maniacs will come back and crush the Orangers. <laughs> well, crush yeah, we them. currently are holding on to a delicious one-point lead in the overall standings, uh, buoyed by a strong showing uh, in, yes. in the, the Newton's Cradle. And because most of the, like, both of our teams have been doing very well like on yes. everything so far, we've only had four uh, different uh, challenges or, or types of competition so far. But um, you, you and your guys, your Minty Maniacs did actually pretty well on Newton's Cradle. They just got yep. like fifth or something like that. So yeah, it was like fifth. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the best. Um, and shout out to Marcus who joins us for um, streaming in place, and he's been rooting for Team Galactic, and they did very very well in Newton's Cradle. Mm-hmm. They came in second or third. Yeah, uh, which is very respectable showing. I am really excited for the next one, which is the long jump. Like, mm-hmm. just the notion of having marbles do a long jump is hilarious to me. It's the whole setup for the long jump is pretty cool. Um, I'm not. It's not. It's not the most exciting one to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but the setup for it is really really neat. Um, the five meter hurdles are after the long jump, and I I like the track events. Mm-hmm. Those are very fun. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to it. We'll talk about it more next week, I'm sure. Um, we also had Holy Moly this week. Sorry, Holy Moly 2, the sequel, which was, this was their Bachelor crossover with Chris Harrison joining him in the, in the booth. Love it for Stroke. This was pretty fun. Um, the the, uh, the Some of the narratives they were building were entertaining. I do think that my favorite episode so far is the previous one, uh, which you had mentioned on the podcast, uh, the one with the director who's got his, like, crew of people and... Rob Riggle losing his mind about uh, the celebrities um, and just the, the cinnamony smell of Josh Duhamel. Um, so yeah, that, that one still takes a cake for me, but I thought that just they, they had some fun with this one. And I particularly enjoyed the ensembles they put together for yes. the different people. That jumpsuit was amazing. It was so good. I was very upset that sh- that, 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 that ensemble didn't get to continue because that yeah. jumpsuit was terrific. And would have benefited um, everyone much more than, like, a fucking cocktail dress. Um, the woman who had the heels on, like, are you going to wear those heels as you run across the log? I mean, come on. Right, no, I was super glad she was in sneakers, because uh, I said the same thing to my partner. I was just like, no, get out of those heels. That's not okay. You're going to sink into the green. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, this episode's just so fun. Um, even down to having like a little bit of a confessional in a car as it drives away from the course, a la The Bachelor. Um, and I know all of this stuff without having seen The Bachelor, which is like speaks to the prevalence of The Bachelor as like a cultural touchstone. Even though I have watched also two seasons of Unreal, so maybe I've watched at least two seasons of The Bachelor. Um, but I, I like all of that. So that was great, but. Man, I hope that, I think it was Alexandria and that lifeguard actually yeah. found love. Yeah, because definitely. I don't even care if that bit was scripted because it feels a little scripted. Mm-hmm. I don't care because it was delightful. The um, commentary just, on the kiss was really great. It was uh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> and then ending, capping it with that kind of bit uh, was, was super fun. I think even like, I don't think it was scripted until the end. I think they were like, hey, we yes. got an idea. Let's just do this instead. And they're like, yeah, okay, we'll yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So it was just delightful. It was a lot of fun. So I definitely enjoyed that. Um, over on Legendary, we had Atlantis and Heaven and Hell. They I like that they kicked off the finale. Um, like I mentioned, I think it was last week or the week before, uh, they ended up filming the last episode without an audience because of when it was filming at the outbreak of the coronavirus um, like escalation in, um, in L.A. or New York, wherever this is filmed. I don't remember. Point being, there's no audience. And so the, their ability to maintain the energy of this show without a live audience is super impressive. The finale kicks off with uh, Liam Maldonado and Deshaun Wesley doing a, a dance, like uh, doing their own performance, which was really cool. I always like on these shows when they, any, t- any show that has judges based on merit and skill, it's always good when you show the judges, like, the, here is why these people are the judges, right? So on The Voice, when they would do, like, the one time each season that all of their judges perform and sing together. Or on Top Chef, when when uh, Tom gets behind the, the, the stove and, like, you know, gets to, gets to work, right? It, it's, it's very helpful to establish this is why we hired these people to judge you because they are really good. And I thought that they definitely lived up to that with Maldonado and, and Deshaun. Uh, and I was just like, why, why is Deshaun not on the panel? Have him host and be on the panel and yeah. have Jamila stop. Jamila stop doing her half hosting thing because it's weird and it's not good. Have Deshaun host everything. Um, but she can stay on the panel, but have, you know, they need more, they need more uh, ballroom um, expertise on their panel. So hopefully that is something that will improve next season. But I thought the that – oh, and also they had Megan the Stallion also perform. And I don't, I'm not familiar with her work at all. I mean, I've heard the name. I'm sure I've heard some of her music just around. Um, but I thought it was a good performance. It was really fun. And I was like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. Fair enough. Um, the final three houses, do you want me to tell you? Yeah, sure. No, go ahead. It came down to Balmain, Lanvan, and Escada. Wow. I'm a little surprised. Yeah. And Escada uh, was third place. And so then it it was down to a battle between Lanvan and uh, Balmain. And the theme was Heaven and Hell. And I I mean, I do recommend just seek out the finale. Um, And you, because they did, the performances are all really good. Um, And and it's very interesting with like how the different teams chose to interpret. Um, that like one team started in heaven and went to hell. One team started in hell and went to heaven. Like, so like just different ways of interpreting it that I thought was pretty cool. Um, so the, the ultimate winner, do you want me to say? No, it's okay. I'll watch. Okay. I won't watch the finale at least. I I thought that it was deserved. Um, but I did think it was, it could have gone either way, but I was happy with how it went. Um, and so just like the, the, way that they managed to build in a show with so many teams, so many houses, and so many people on each team. If I say, like, Jamari Belmain or Calypso, or if I say Michaela, do you remember Michaela? No? Okay, you only watched no. a few episodes. But yeah. there, there are certain of these performers, like Erica, House of, which is, who is the house mother for Levan, and Michaela did all, like, the flips and everything. Like, some of these performers, like... I could definitely identify their strengths and their style and all this stuff. And that's coming with no awareness of them beforehand. And uh, it's a lot of faces to follow. It's a lot of names to follow. So it just really spoke to who broke through and who also the judges appreciated and shouted out more. But like, yeah, if you're going to like when they end up having their like battles, like 
it was very, it was very good. It was very cool. So um, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I hope if they make a few, I hope they make a few tweaks to the, how they do the judging for next season, but I'm looking forward to what next season will bring. Cause it, it was really cool in season one. It was very fun. Um, over on Drag Race All-Stars, we have Snatch Game of Love and Snatch Game of Love. So Snatch Game can go a couple different ways, right? Snatch Game of Love, though, only goes one way. You do really well or you do really bad. There isn't much in between because you can't hide because there's only three people be doing Snatch Game at a time. So you're going to get questions. You're either, you're going to get lobbed a few things and either you, you hit right back and you do a good job or you, you just, you, you, or you are India Farah doing Jeffree Star. So um, what did you think? Did this, you know, like how, what do you think of the format? Did it work for you? And what did you think of the performances? So I like Snatch Game of Love. I don't think I like it as much as Snatch Game because Snatch Game allows for a lot more interplay between different personalities, which I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, so it allows for a lot more different kinds of zingers to be delivered in different ways. Uh, Snatch Game of Love really kind of limits that. But like you said, it also allows for a sort of sink or swim approach, which is arguably better for the show. Um, just an editing level, because sometimes one of the problems with snap, regular OG Snatch Game is that the edit doesn't do favors to anyone, uh, certain people, whereas there's no room to hide in, even in the edit for Snatch Game of Love, which I kind of appreciate. Uh, for this Snatch Game of Love for season five, it's generally okay. Like, the standouts are really, really good. So, like, Alexis is great. Um, is really, really funny, even though I don't know Walter Mercado at all. Yeah. But it's Great really synchronicity. F- Apparently there's a new documentary about him out yes. on Netflix, like, this week. Last mm-hmm. week. Yeah. No, just delightful, like, alignment. Um, even though a lot of the... The joke was the same joke over and over again, mm-hmm. which is not the best thing. But when you're dealing with Cracker doing a just awful Lady Gaga and India doing an even worse Jeffree Star, (laughs) but also Marilyn Mann, I don't know. It was very difficult to figure out what was happening there. Um, And as plenty of people say when they do Snatch Game, regardless of if I don't know you, who you're doing, it also somewhat doesn't matter if you're funny. Mm-hmm. But if you're not funny, then it's just real bad. And that's what happened with India. Um, mm-hmm. The second group where Blair was Ellen, Jujube was Eartha Kit, and then Shea Kool-Aid was Flavor Flav. It was just, it was just so good, Kate. <laughs> like, I, Blair's whole Ellen thing was, like, heated over Kate McKinnon Ellen, mm-hmm. which... Did not do Blair any favors. Thank goodness her runaway look was amazing. Mm-hmm. But Jujubee and Shay just killed, just killed as Eartha Kid and Flavor Flav, respectively. Um, it was just really, really funny all the time. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really, really, really good. So on the whole, I think it averaged out to be a pretty fine Snatch Game of Love. My larger frustration was the whole... Everyone was up for elimination if they weren't in the top, and it was just like, that's some bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes the game more exciting, air quotes, quotes, but it's also kind of just a nonsense type of thing with given the social dynamics of the game where 
no one's actively doing the smart thing and voting for a frontrunner because, like, you should vote for Jujubee to get Jujubee out of the way. Because um, then maybe you can, maybe then you could come at Shay. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, it was it was a good episode, but just weak links, man. I, this this All Star season is not All Stars. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like. The trouble with having everyone up for elimination in the bottom, uh, except for the winner, is that it immediately affects all of the dynamics. We spend so much time with the queens interacting, like getting ready for challenges, painting in the workroom. And if they know that, like, which which immediately happens in the next episode, well, anything that I might say that someone might take the wrong way could get me eliminated because we're down to, at this point, a top five. It only takes two votes to yes. eliminate someone, right? So, like, they're immediately having to censor everything that they say, make sure they don't say anything that someone could take the wrong way. Everybody has, like, it's, first of all, exhausting, I'm sure, for them. But it's not fun to watch. Right, also, it's bad TV. It's, it's bad TV. It seems like, oh, that changes, anything could happen. It, except that these queens were all doing the best they could to start out with. So it's not like they were. There were people trying to skate through in the middle who now are, are made more. Um, they have to be more, just on top of their game and really step things up so that they can win. They were all already trying to win, so it doesn't yeah. change that aspect of it. It just adds an element of no, someone could do a really good job, like Alexis in this last episode, and still get eliminated because everything is meaningless. So well, India got eliminated. I know what I'm saying, but she, uh, Alexis could have been eliminated. Right. Okay, despite yeah, yeah. having one of the best snatches or Jujubee, right? Yeah. Um, and then it's like, well, then why am I investing in this? Why do I care? If, if Rue doesn't care who gets eliminated, which is what it feels like, then yeah. why should I care? Why should I invest in this, right? If it doesn't matter whether they do a good job or not. Yeah. You know, and it's not like, you know, like I think in, in the nice thing about this episode is that there were some clear, like, they crushed it. Like, definitely Jujubee and Shay were the best. And Alexis yes. was also really good. And yes. you could have eliminated any of the other three, and it would have been okay. Though India was the worst, in my opinion. Um yes. So, like, there is something for them to point to. But what if everybody kind of does the same? Then what are you, they supposed to judge based off of? Right. And, like, so having the, having the queens vote... I think is fine. Um, it adds a different interesting dynamic, but having like you need to, there needs to be some level of structure for it to be a satisfying experience watching and for it to not completely muddle all of the other dynamics as they're painting, as they're working in groups, as they're sewing, you know, like the next challenge is a ball challenge. So they have to sew. Right. So like, are they, are they, are they going to help? Like now, oh, you better help the other people with their with their looks because then they might not vote for you. Like it just adds so much on top of everything else that it overwhelms the rest of the show. It overwhelms the parts of the show that are working just fine and don't need to be like shaken up. So I'm not very excited about that. I am excited to get to the finale. Um, do you have any any other thoughts about this episode? I, I wanted more from the prom looks. I thought they all looked good, but I wasn't like they didn't feel like all star looks. Except for for Shay's, yeah, they didn't feel like all star looks, and a couple of folks just didn't do the brief. Yeah, of... they, f- they felt like good, like doing really well on regular all stars. Yes, yeah, yeah. So no, like I really liked Blair's look 
um, though we talked um, a little bit. And who was it that you felt did that better remind oh, you? Oh, I liked, uh, I thought Blair did a good job, but for me, um, I mean, granted, when they filmed it, they filmed it at a similar time, but yeah. I thought that the Gigi's look in the, and towards right. the end of season 12, which was also like a combination of like, like a, of like a tuxedo, and then yes, she had dress. like a like a yeah. skirt, like yeah, a smaller yeah, yeah. skirt, more of a pencil skirt. But she had like the ruffled top, right? Um, was a more fun way. And then she had the headgear, which is reminiscent of what Cracker did with the with the zit. So it was kind of a combo. So again, that felt like you could. I felt like you could put that look on the runway, and it would be it would match match with the other ones that were up there. It wasn't like well, they needed to go away. Make a bunch of money, <laughs> yeah. Come back as all stars and just take it to the next level. But like, no, that's this is where season twelve and a bunch of the recent seasons of the show have put the level. This is the level of regular Drag Race. Yes. So that it, as regular Drag Race amp, like amps up its game, all stars has to go above and beyond as well. Like GGB's look, I thought was great. Yes, but I didn't think it was a all stars look. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And that's sort of the thing. Like, Shay kind of comes close, but Shay also, as like you and I in front of the show, Allison Shoemaker discussed, the the actual dress itself doesn't speak to the narrative Shay was crafting with the whole thing about her elimination. And that finale against Sasha as a as a prom kind of idea, which is, I think, a really cool concept, but the dress doesn't express that quite the same way as the the narrative with the blood and the flowers and everything does. Uh, so I think that there's just a weird sense of disconnect between an idea of all-stars, like you say, and then baseline drag race. Mm-hmm. And that, again, as we've been saying all season this season, we had an all-star season already this year. Mm-hmm. It was just season 12 of Drag Race. <laughs> so I am looking forward to some of those queens coming back for all-stars at some point. Me but. too. And I should note that I'm very excited about this week's episode uh, because, A, I didn't get a crafting challenge at all in season 12. Yes, you did. There was um, the ball challenge. We the didn't get to ball. see them really do any of it, though. Yeah, you don't get to see very much of them doing it in this one either, because uh, there's so much other stuff for them to. There's because you have to do the the you have to actually walk the runway twice. You have to do the voting. You have to do the lip sync. You have to do the reveal. You have to do the inter- like react to last week. So because of all that, you don't get to see enough of them actually crafting. And then there's some there's some walkthrough stuff as well. I'm. I'm not like a deep, deep fan of this show. I freely acknowledge that. Like I've watched the, like I think two and a half, three seasons that we did years ago for uh, Make You Watch a Thon. Um, but I just feel like the show has gone meh. Maybe crafting and being able to sew is not that important since we keep hiring, we keep casting people who don't know how to do it, so we're just not going to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, to which I go. That's really depressing and sad, and I don't find it interesting. Um, But I feel like such an old fogey when I say that. (laughs) But again, I don't think I have, like, the ground to stand on to be an old fogey about this either. (laughs) Um, So that's very disappointing, um, because I love crafting challenges. I love watching people go, I don't know how to put together a dress, because you should know how to put together a dress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. I look forward to your thoughts next week when we talk yeah. about that one. Um, next up is Stargirl Shiv Part 2, and I thought this was good. It was fun. You got to see get some more answers. Um, and yeah. uh, 
having like I, I was yelling at my TV a bit. We're yelling at your TV when when uh, um, Doctor Midnight is like, "Let's go into this tunnel in the back side of this house." That seems like a great. When she finally was like, "Okay, I'm gonna run away," I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Yeah, yeah, running away is the correct choice, and yeah. I was very, very glad when that decision was made. I was just like, "Don't." Don't don't stay in there. Please don't stay in there. Just turn around. The goggles are malfunctioning. They they're clearly not working. Please please run away, Beth. Please okay. Woo. Woo. But I also love how excited Beth is mm-hmm. about just doing this covert in the field thing. Um. So it was it was very good. But there's just a lot of like charming little touches in this, like when um when Pat exits the house. And like yells at Yolanda, you can't be out in like your your costume. What are you? <laughs> Come on, just don't do that. And Yolanda like covers herself up as if she's nude. Yeah, and I'm just like, the show's like small moments of direction on this are really really good, but then they do like big splashy, silly wire work type stuff in like a bedroom and then on a street. And it all looks very goofy, and the fight choreography is not super great. Like, it's not Arrow, late yeah. season Arrow levels type stuff. But it doesn't have to be, because it still looks fun. Mm-hmm. And that's what this episode, I think, does a really good job of, like, getting all of that kind of stuff mixed together to in really effective ways. So I really like this episode. I still really like this show. It's just really charming. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the next episode, um, getting some more... Info on uh, on Henry, right? Yeah, uh, Henry, yes. Yeah, how he's going to deal now that his abilities are are working. Um, having yeah. uh, Shiv, I forget her actual name. The mean girl, Cindy. Cindy, thank you. Having Cindy get dragged away through the sewers was such a fun way to like to end that. It was so scary too. Like it was just delightfully unsettling. Mm-hmm. Did you like a reveal um, about uh, the Cindy's dad? I already knew that. But I know you um, already knew that, but how did you feel like they handled that? Because it was new to the viewers of the show, if not the comics. Yeah. No, I, I liked it. And I like that that kind of an escalation for them, I think, works really, really well. And I appreciate that one of the things that the show's done really well is to make the ISA legitimately feel kind of unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Dragon King being like, yeah, no, I don't, don't make me take off my hood. And it's just like, and that Cindy is legitimately afraid of that as a concept of like, oh, okay. But that each of these folks has like their degree of actual danger, which I think is really helpful, um, in making them feel like a legitimate threat for everyone. Since a lot of what they spend their time doing is not attacking our team, because our team is not ready for them. <laughs> they barely held their own against Tigers and Sportsmaster. Yeah. Um, they're not ready for this. So I think that there's I think that there's lots of good stuff. I'll be really curious to see what they do with... Hang on. Where's Amy Smart's character's name? Because I can't remember Barbara. Um, my partner pointed out really astutely that the whole... We can't tell Barbara because she'll make us stop. She'll make us stop yeah. is a really good pivot on the we can't tell Barbara because it puts her in danger yeah. type of thing. It's much more believable yeah. than, as my partner pointed out, it's much more believable that that's Courtney's objection. Because mm-hmm. Courtney's in high school and Courtney thinks that this is her destiny. 
So that whole combination of things I think works really, really well and is a nice little twist on that superhero trope, especially in these Greg Berlanti shows. <laughs> yes. However. 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 I cannot be the only one watching going, if I'm Barbara, at a certain point, it's very creepy that my husband has this yes. strange relationship with my daughter, that he spends all of this extra time alone with her, and that they have secrets they, that they're keeping from... Like, the subtext of there is so creepy and terrible that you'd have to... Like, I don't... I, they have to know that that's there, right? They have to know, like, this is a secret we can't tell your mom, and we have this special relationship, and no one understands you like I do. Like, it's really creepy. There is strong pedo subtext here that, like, I can't be the only one experiencing as I watch it. So I hope the writers are aware of that. I don't know. What do you think? I see where you're coming from. I'm not sure I totally, like, buy it, but I think the subtext is definitely there. Um, the way that they get around it is the fact that Barbara's just never home now. <laughs> yeah. Which makes me worried about Mike, who actually is well, not exactly. terrible in this episode. Yeah. But also that boy cannot fend for himself. <laughs> yeah. It's not like if you, if they, if Mike was in on it, it would have a totally different vibe. Yeah. But it doesn't. But, but Mike isn't. So it's like my dad keeps ditching me to spend all of this time with my new sister, my new hot teenage sister, right? Like, I think I don't think the show is trying to do that, but I don't think that they are doing enough to counter it. As soon as there's the group dynamic of the like all of the friends together, then again that helps a lot. But just any like they're gonna need to get to a point of telling Barbara this season um, soon, yeah. right? Or they're gonna need there to be something like um, she, like or or like. Basically, she needs to leave Pat as soon as they tell. Like, they find out that you lied to me about something this big. Like, so, and I can't, I don't see that happening. So, like, they, they're, they're approaching a breaking point with that. And they're in an interesting place with it right now, right? Where they can get some good narrative ground out of it. But that has to be reckoned with at a certain point. Like, I thought Buffy did a really good job with that stuff with Giles and Joyce. When Joyce found yes. out about it, it's like, I found out this male teacher has this whole special relationship with my daughter that they aren't telling me about that's messed up as an adult you have like you you should have respected and understood that and you needed to find a way to communicate you know like i thought they did a, they handled that well in just a couple scenes on buffy um when it was revealed like you know in, at the end of season two right um so or was that was that was the at the beginning of season three I don't remember. It's been too long, clearly. Yeah. But the point being, um, that I I could see the show handling coming up with with answers and reasons and conversations that will take care of that. But the longer that they don't, the more kind of I could see like the more that it bothers me that they that the show is not calling out the red flags. The way that they have had like we gotta tell your mom. Immediately. I was like, good. That's what that's what you need to do. Pat needs to say, we have to tell your mom you were just in, in the hospital. I can't lie to your mom about why you were in the hospital. And then they, you know, have her, they, they convince him not to for reasons, right? That works. But only if you do the I'm telling your mom right now part of it. So hopefully they have more similar mitigations in, uh, planned or they're going to get to a point of telling Barbara before, like at the end of the season. 
Yeah, and I think that's sort of where they're going, especially as the icicle thing escalates uh, yeah. between him, him and Barbara. Yeah, we will see. Um, any final thoughts on Stargirl? No. It's time I'm... to talk about Mac and the D. <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7. Mac Daddy. Uh, yeah, no, not, not Mac Daddy. Now, I have not seen Choppin' Mall. Have you seen Choppin' Mall? I have. I actually just recently watched it um, last month. Um, Turner Classics aired it on like their late night under- TCM Underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my partner and I recorded it and we watched it. And it's delightful. Yeah, I have not seen it, but yeah. there were a lot of visual shout-outs to Chavin yes. Mall in this, and as that is a known favorite movie of Mac, and also Hope, uh, his his fake daughter in the the framework, um, I just thought that was so such a fun thing to do, to, to deal with this story about Mac tra- uh, processing his grief over the death of his parents, um, and the changing of the timeline and all of that, uh, to, to wrap it in this 80s candy-coated, like, gem in the holograms, but also chopping wall, was just delightful. I had so much fun with this. Yeah, this episode is a ridiculous amount of fun. There's the, all those really overt references uh, to the 80s from, like you say, shopping chopping mall. There's Deke's cover band of cover of songs that don't technically exist yet um, <laughs> that he is now claiming that he wrote. Um, and all of that, I think, is really, really good. But I also really like a lot of like the more subtle ones. Like his whole thing of like knocking on Mac's door and everything is just pure Ghostbusters with Louis Telly um, outside of um, Sigourney Weaver's character's door in, mm-hmm. um, in Ghostbusters. I really love that. Even some of the like the lines or basically lifted from Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. It was really good, and it was... Deke in a Lewis Tully role is just too perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like this episode. I like Deke's whole, like, squad of folks who are just not prepared for any of this. <laughs> but hey, um, who all step up, eventually. Eventually, except for, you know, Cricket, Great. who sells a lot of Coke, but I never see him drink any. <laughs> Yeah, Deke really, like, the actor sells that stuff so well. And mm-hmm. I I love that apparently the answer was 80s. For the, like, what aesthetic is going to make Deke actually look good? He actually yes. looks good when he's at, with his band. Whereas I feel like a lot of the times they either, they're actively, I mean, everybody on TV is gorgeous. So in yes. person. But, so, like, they're they're actively trying to make him look bad in all the other times. Or, like, awkward and stuff. And and here they're like, no, we're going to go full rock star. We're getting the guy liner. We're getting the headbands. He, this, like, he's in his element. Um, I thought that was super fun. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think you're absolutely correct. So I think that there's lots of, like, fun stuff here, including Colson being in a TV. Mm-hmm. It's just so the good. Background. The, good. The background, the A-team montage complete with the theme is really, really good. My, my quibble with the episode um, is that I feel like I needed more time with Mac like they do a nice job with the montage of his depression. Mm-hmm. That being said, I would have liked a lot more time with it because Mac is one of the more like emotionally developed characters on the show. And to sort of like distance that and to, for him to have to like find it through like wanton carnage um, was a little frustrating for me. And I would have liked more time with him trying to survive in the eighties 
Yeah, and, like, how was he paying for the electricity at the house he was staying at? For right, and that kind of thing. Like, just a little bit of him trying to get by. And what does that look like for him? And how 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 is that working apart from just doing miniature models and that kind of a thing? Uh, so a little bit more of that, I think, would have been really, really great. Um, and it would have really, like, I think, elevated the episode, even though it's a lot of fun it lacks like some of the character stuff that I would have appreciated in that, even though I was very excited to see the shotgun axe back because I missed <laughs> the shotgun axe since like, I don't think he's had it since season five. Yeah. I was gonna say like, I've been re finishing filling in the gap. Uh, Cause I had stopped watching season four, like mid ghost writer. Cause I was not digging it. So I, uh, I'm going to be subbing in uh coverage on it next week and mm -hmm. so i was like i should probably go fill in that gap since i've got a little extra viewing time anyways um in case they reference because they're doing so many references this season and yeah. so i finished the rest of season four and it's so good season four is really fun um once you get through the ghostwriter stuff and they and he had, they had, he had the axe and i was because you mentioned it last week and i had kind of forgotten about it because it's been so long and then it, it popped up in the the season four episodes i was like oh yeah that's right and so seeing it come back here it was like a nice little full circle moment yeah, so I was really glad to see that. So I'm glad the team's back together again. Mm -hmm. So well, I'm I'm excited. We're in like the we're in the back half now. Um, yeah. So they've got 13 episodes this season. So I'm curious to see what we're going to do. We're coming up on Elizabeth Henstridge's uh, director directed episode. Mm -hmm. Episode nine is the episode she directed. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Um, next week we get Dejan Lachman, Lachman back, which is very exciting. Uh, I don't remember season two very well. Yeah, so. no. I, I, Truth be told, I barely remember anything that isn't seasons four, five, and six. Mm -hmm. I've just forgotten everything from seasons one, two, and three. But I feel like that's okay. <laughs> the I, I just always enjoy Lachman when she shows up. I'm very confused why she's not a bigger presence on right my TV. she's she's with the inhumans that's right yeah yeah okay. she she's yeah. uh she's daisy's mom so. right right no yeah. she should she should always be getting more work and yeah. yes it is very weird that she doesn't so anyways looking forward to her, her being back but yeah it's been super fun this season yeah really enjoying shield so what wins your week in tv oh man um yeah i think it's shield this week mm -hmm. yeah it's shield this week yeah. yeah, Shield wins my week. Um, character stuff aside, it wins my week. What about you? Um, yeah, I'll give a shout out to the legendary finale, mm -hmm. um, and to those performances on Snatch Game because, like, I could listen to Jujube talk about the thermostat as Eartha Kit oh, God, all day long, so <laughs> or impersonate it's so frogs. Good. It's very good. And Shay was so good as Flavor Flav, like just ridiculously good as Flavor Flav. Um, and also. I'm I, shockingly, I actually was intrigued by this week's episode of Perry Mason, so now I have to keep watching what? it, which is kind of a Bourne situation. But but I do it's it's not even in contention though. I just figured I'd shout okay. it out. But the for me as well, it was Shield this week. It was just so fun. Um, so very much looking forward to what comes next for that. Uh, that was up for Weekend TV. Now we're gonna take a break, listen to a trailer for the Babysitters Club, and come back with our season spotlight on season one. We'll be right back after this. It all started at the very beginning of seventh grade. Hi, we're the Babysitter's Club. Call us if you need us. Bye. What if you could, like, make one phone call and reach a whole bunch of good sitters at the same time? Are you sure this thing actually works? The Etsy shop I bought it from said it's fully operational. 
like, yeah, but it's 25 years old. It's iconic. Oh, my God. Good afternoon, Babysitter's Club. This is Christy Thomas, president and founder speaking. Christy, I know how much you like to be in control. But Watson's going to be a part of your family, whether you like it or not. I'd rather have head lice. Again. I'm Dawn. I just moved here from L.A. I'm chill, but I don't back down from a challenge. Uh-oh. Someone needs a diaper change. Do you know what I am? Grounding breath. Yeah. It's me, Claudia Kishi. I'm good at a lot of things. Most of all, I'm good at art. The Tootsie Roll Pop is very compelling. Thank you. We have to celebrate. Hey, guys. Watermelon gummies. <laughs> hey, I'm Stacy. I've got to get his attention. What are you going to do, pretend to drown? Do you think that would work? We need to differentiate ourselves from the competition. I can figure out the best ratio of click-throughs to investment. I'm pretty good at math. Well, hi, I'm Marianne. Talking to people I don't know makes my stomach fall out of my nose. You're hilarious. People who barely know me always say that. That you are learning about yourselves and the way you want to be in the world. I know it's hard, but we're here. You are such a strong woman, Christy. take care of kids but what i realized we were more than a club we were best friends we're back with the televerse this is kate calls we've done to everybody noel kirkpatrick and this week on the dvd shelf because i assume with the help with like all the reception i assume this show is getting renewed uh though that has not happened this is now a limitless situation this <laughs> but i'm calling this the the uh, season spotlight not the dvd shelf because i'm i'm confident it'll be back we're talking about season one of netflix's the babysitter's club uh which is of course adapted from the series of novels uh, i think there was has been at least one other like filmed version of this as well tv uh or movies or something but i have not watched them did you did you read any of the Babysitter's Club books? I'm, I mean, I'm sure I read one at some point, but I was much more the give me all of the fan, the like fantasy and sci-fi and murder mystery, please, kid. I was not reading the Babysitter's Club as a kid. <laughs> uh, so, no, I didn't read any of the Babysitter's Club. Um, I was kind of like passingly aware of it. Um, Mm -hmm. especially by like I vaguely recall it being like floating around um, by the time I was in third or fourth grade even though this started in like 1986 so I was two when it originally launched Um, so but I never read it Uh, this is not the first adaptation there was a short run like 13 10 episode series um, on HBO back in like 1990 um that was also this um was also an adaptation i don't know anything about it Mm -hmm. it's not on hbo max um so (laughs) i don't know what i'm supposed to do about that um yeah so my extent of knowledge about the babysitter's club is that it is deeply important to a number of people our age so people Mm -hmm. in like their mid to late 30s um and probably a little younger as well, and definitely younger. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I have absolutely no connection to it whatsoever. So prior to taking a BuzzFeed quiz, I was unaware of if I was a Christie, a Claudia, a Stacy, or a Marianne, or a Dawn. Um, so I had to like take a BuzzFeed quiz to find out. Uh, I turned out to be a Christie, which doesn't seem right. Yeah. But um, they were basing it on the Netflix version. Maybe I should have taken a quiz about the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know enough to to know who I should be, which one I am. Um, and I don't know enough really to say which one you should be, but I don't think you're a Christie. You are definitely I, I not I, a Christie. I have elements of a Christie, I feel like, but I'm not a, I'm not a total Christie. So. Yeah. I would go more Marianne for you. I think that's probably fair. I think yeah. that is probably fair. Which you know, they're, they're all pretty great. I actually do enjoy a lot of, like, they're all annoying, but they're also all pretty fun, <laughs> which I think is an important balance to strike if you want to feel in any way realistic when depicting teenagers and just people. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, what I'm actually hearing is yeah. that you are not one of the babysitters. You're the camp counselor head. <laughs> oh, my camp God. There are so head. many times. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. That is what oh. I'm hearing. <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. We'll get yeah. there. Um, so each episode is based on one of the books. Um, if I've read any of them, I don't remember them well enough to know if I've read any of these books. But I thought that was a smart format. Um, this has been really, uh, like, immediately latched onto, praised, passed around. And the I think for me, actually, it was a bit overhyped. Because what I keep seeing people talk about is that it didn't have to go so hard, and it did, and I'm so here for it, right, is basically the, the gist I've been getting. And so I think the Babysitter's Club, while I did actually really enjoy it, had a lot of fun with it, I watched it in an afternoon uh, or like a day, um, I think if you go in expecting it to be a really good show, you will go, oh, oh, okay, okay. And if you go in expecting it to be a cheesy, like, they're not going to do justice to the source material, assuming you have a connection to it, kind of a thing, then you will be pleasantly surprised because of the decisions that they make around, we're not just going to do that. So there's so much nostalgia in this. It's really going for a certain comfort TV kind of vibe. A very, It's very safe, right? All this stuff, which is appropriate for, I think, for an adaptation of this series, if I, from what I've read people who are more connected to it but because it was getting so such high praise when i watched the first episode i was like what are what is everyone talking about but then we got to like the third fourth fifth i started to see more of it i was like oh okay okay yep i'm on board i I mean i enjoyed the characters anyways but I, i was i was so ready to come into this recording Noel, and just be like it's fine and fortunately after finishing the season i think it is decidedly better than fine um, but I just am a little concerned that some people will hear all the buzz and then watch the first couple and then just go like, and stop watching, um, or, or just assume that they're missing something or it's not for them when actually I think it continues to grow in the first batch of episodes and really hits its stride around like mid season. Um, I, I don't think it'll be a controversial opinion here on the televerse, but best character, best performance Mark Evan Jackson is Marianne's dad, right? This is where I'm at. <laughs> I mean, I I very much want to agree with you. Uh-huh. But second place. Okay. Mark Evan 
Mark Evan Jackson because I really think that everyone across the board has done a really poor job of recognizing the very excellent work done by Sophia Reed uh, Gantz, Gannertz, who plays Karen, who's the single best oh character gosh. on this You're right. show. You're right. Karen for life. She needs her own spinoff, which she actually gets mm-hmm. in universe as the little babysitters club. Mm-hmm. Um, Karen ride or die. Okay. I, I can, I can co-sign on that. I, I I'm on board now. How, where did you fall with this show? So I, I, in case it wasn't clear, I did end up really enjoying it. Had mm-hmm. a lot of fun with it. I do recommend the show. Um, it, it was so funny. I was talking to one of my students, uh, you know, about like, Oh, what did you do this, this weekend? They're like, well, there's this show, the babysitters club. I was like, Oh yeah. And I watched all of it. They're like, it's Sunday. It came out on Friday. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I was wor- I was working while I, yeah, make better life choices. She's like, well, we, we watched a couple. So clearly I enjoyed it or I wouldn't have watched it all in a day. But I did, you know, I'm curious how you felt about about um, about it and with all this buzz around it. If, 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 I'm getting the sense that maybe you liked it more than I did. What did you think? So I think it's like a twofold kind of uh situation i think that on the one on the one fold is like i said this is a franchise that's really important to a number of people who are also now old enough to be writing about television professionally which i think makes a big difference in a lot of the buzz i think that the other thing that makes a big difference in a lot of the buzz is that we don't review a lot of family-centered television particularly family-centered television like this. So when something that is also live action and an established IP comes out and does this really kind of diversity-forward, topic-driven, but not special episode-driven sort of approach, it's suddenly mind-blowing for any number of people Mm -hmm. who maybe don't watch a lot of animated programming that is ostensibly targeted to children, but really isn't. Mm-hmm. like abc family back when it was abc family it's like yeah there's the fosters there's like a bunch of shows that are doing this kind of thing that were also yes. really good correct i mean like i think i do very much do feel like the fosters walked and then ran into a wall so that babysitters <laughs> club could not run into a wall um, and that's that's the sort of thing even though i will acknowledge that like fosters is operating in a very different vein as a much heavier like family melodrama and the babysitters club is definitely more in a sitcom vein um both of which have their merits and both of which are good ways of exploring any sorts of topics ride or die again sitcoms and sitcom formats um but i think that's sort of like the thing that's happening with a lot of the response to this and so i tempered my expectations to a certain degree of some people i know are very nostalgic about this franchise and then some people I were reading were just like, very, maybe don't tap into family programming necessarily as much. Or they've just kind of forgotten like mm-hmm. that the Fosters is a thing. Uh, well, was a thing. Or they just don't watch Steven Universe. Mm-hmm. Or they do, but it's not in the conversation, air quotes. Yeah. Whereas this is, again, an established IP with a number of high profile, like adult actors in it, who in turn bake into other nostalgic things, very specifically Alicia Silverstone um, and uh, Mark Furstein. And all of that stuff gets baked into the reception of it. And I think that's something that I kept in the back of my head as I was watching this, because I do agree with you that the first episode is rough. 
It's a heavy <laughs> pilot episode. It's just like aggressively piloty. Mm. I think it gets a lot better. And yeah. so I also really, really like this. I think it's very good. I think it's a great family show. Um, especially, And I think it's a great show just in general. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's necessarily overpraised, but I also feel like in the vast landscape of pandemic television, mm-hmm. something that is what this is, which is very feel-good and very thoughtful, is going to feel like a balm to the soul. And I think that's also something to keep in mind when we're talking about like the reception of it. I think is the cultural context in which something drops is really important. So I think that is also what happened a little bit with maybe the reception of this. Because I do think this is a very good show. I just think that the context around it and everyone's sort of critical and critical and like personal also like their approach has to be factored into it as well, which is something that's really important mm-hmm. when talking about television or any art in general. Yeah. It's nice to see a show about middle schoolers. And I say that, of course, I got an email today about uh, Pen 1-5 yeah. is, is back in September, right? And I still haven't seen that season. But uh, I don't know about you. I absolutely was babysitting by the time I was in middle school. Uh, you know, I was playing weddings by the time I was in middle school, getting dropped off by my parents to, to go do that. So, like, I was definitely babysitting by age, like, 11, 12. Um, I think that if you have responsible middle schoolers, they can definitely babysit you know that babysitter's agency mm-hmm. oh, so, so it, middle school is middle school is rough and i feel like a lot of times you don't see shows about middle school because they can't cast 20 somethings to play the middle schoolers correct which they is not which is why we don't see shows about middle schoolers uh, very often so it was kind of refreshing on that part of it and to, to mm-hmm. explore this really difficult and complicated micro phase in a person's life that feels endless when you're in it. Um, so, and I also really just did get a kick out of these characters. I think that they, they do feel like this is the blank, like Claudia is our creative character. And then we have our bossy character. And then we have our, you know, our shy retiring, like they're very much like boxes for the readers to like decide who they are and put themselves in, you know? And, and it just as a book franchise, it's smart to have different protagonists that you can have take the lead in different books. So that way, you know, it's, it, there's a little something for everybody. It's very mm-hmm. smart um, writing and series development. Um, but I think that they they did a good job of fleshing out the characters enough to make them still work as like audience surrogates, you know, or like characters you can really put yourself into. But there also was enough specificity that I could, I could latch onto them. Um, I like, I mean, you know, obviously... Uh, I can't speak to this personal experience, but having the the one Asian American babysitter, right? Japanese American babysitter uh, be, or I mean, she's not Japanese, she's American of Japanese descent, um, be the one who's bad at school and really artistic, I think is had to have been really helpful to a lot of people who did not see themselves represented. Um, so that was sort of neat for me to to like watch and think about how meaningful that character would have been that like, obviously we have our character who's got uh, type one diabetes dealing with different, you know, different stress around that and what that means for, for, you know, her in school. And just, there's, there's enough, I think, variety in the, in the character's experiences that, that you can really have some fun with it. Um, Did you have a particular one, like element to, to the, the group dynamics that you were enjoying? I actually generally really enjoy the dynamics across the board. I think it picks up a little bit once Dawn joins the group. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly because 
while Stacy is an outsider, air quotes, since she's from Upper West Side Manhattan, la la di da. Mm-hmm. Um, the concept of Connecticut is still sort of baked in yeah. to the an understanding of like New York City, and then on top of that, what Connecticut is. So I think like. Dawn as a complete outsider and positioned as such very quickly of my mom is into witchcraft, Mm -hmm. Uh, which again, like spurs on a number of really, I think a solid jokes, but B also another bit of representation about, no, this is what witchcraft is type of deal, which I think is also really good. But I think that that as being from Los Angeles and then, the very low-key culture shock of a Connecticut suburb. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it helps elevate everything and really kind of allows for the dynamics to really kind of go into a better direction as opposed to a poorly fleshed out, Claudia is not really talking to Christy anymore because they've grown apart and Marianne can't really help with that because she's shy and not particularly assertive and Stacey's brand new. Um, so I think that there's like lots of little elements that in any other show would have been overplayed, but just the insert of Dawn to be like a little bit of a sticking glue for everyone, I think ends up working really, really well in terms of giving everyone someone else to play off of that none of them know. And I think that makes a huge difference. Even just, I mean, mathematically having five instead of four. Works a lot better. So you just don't end up with like, which pairing are we going to get this time? You know, there's Correct. more right. options. Uh, yeah. I I think, I mean, I'm sure that the pilot is probably the first book, right? That's got to be when they set up the club and everything. But I, I thought they did a good job of establishing that Christy is also really likable, but also kind of obnoxious and you wouldn't want to be your friend. She's so obnoxious. <laughs> so, and she's dealing with a lot, right? They, they, they handle is. all that, like what, you know, the, Again, they make the, the characters feel surprisingly rounded. Um, considering, I don't know how specific they actually want them to be, you know, so they, they play that well. Yeah. But uh, of these characters, I think I am the I am most in, I most enjoyed Claudia. I am not a okay, Claudia. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm closest to a mix between Marianne and Christy. It'd be mm-hmm. my guess. But um, yeah, I think that's correct. But I very much enjoy uh, I very much enjoy Claudia and her family. And her weird older sister, who's way too old, um, and and her awesome grandma. I also really enjoyed, uh, obviously, Marianne and her dad because Mark Evan Jackson is great in this. Like he's so good, he's really good. We were texting over over the weekend, listeners, and and Noel said, "If this if this is what gets him his Emmy nomination, I won't be mad." And I was like, "I would love it. He's so good." Watching him get to just play like awkward, he never gets to play awkward because he's so good at commanding voice guy, uh, and like stoic still guy. So when he's like going around the grocery store, going like Amaranth, yeah, um, yeah, it's just so delicious. I love it. Um, the other, the other members of the Babysitter Club, like Dawn, terrific, super fun. Her and her and her mom, and just showing different types of parenting and pros and cons. I mm-hmm. think is great. I don't care about Christy's mom or her stepdad or any of her brothers. Uh, other Stacey's than Stacy's so thirsty for one of those brothers, She's which is so funny. Thirsty. It's very yeah. funny, and I am empathetic towards Stacy, but I don't feel like I know her well enough to have 
any stronger connection to her. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think Stacy's episode in which they reveal that she has type 1 diabetes uh, paints her parents with a really broad brush. Yeah, I know nothing about them. Like, literally all we know about her mom is that she's deeply ashamed of the fact that her daughter has type 1 diabetes. <laughs> that's that's the that's the beginning and end of that character. And that's really mm-hmm. not the best. Or just protective, also, you know, and doesn't want her to be bullied and stuff. And But smotheringly. Yeah. 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 But I also feel like we don't necessarily know that much about, like, um, Claudia's parents either, apart from that mm-hmm. they kind of slot into that stereotype of a Asian parents who want their kid to really succeed in very specific ways mm-hmm. um, that they also feel a little ill-defined, comp- especially when compared to the grandmother, who I think is a little more defined. Yeah, me, me. Um, and I don't want to suggest that Janine is weird because I, f- I feel like the show wants us to think that she's on the spectrum somewhere, mm-hmm. but they don't want to actually like address that in season one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so it's a weird sort of thing of like, I can't tell if she's actually sort of being aloof and standoffish or if she's just on a spectrum somewhere. Or or if she's just like super awkward. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, which is also a thing. So, but the show seems to not quite want to figure that out just yet, which always makes me a little nervy. So I, I do, and I do agree with you that, um, Elizabeth and Watson, Watson, it's just the worst name. It's just a bad um, name. Who are played by Alicia Silverstone and Mark Furstein, who um, are, by the end, Christie's parents. Um, that there's not a lot there there, mm-hmm. um, which I think is generally okay. But I also feel like a lot of that is... Based on how our budget works, we can only have so many of these named recognizable actors in our episode at any one given time. And we Mm -hmm. need to save that budget for when they're either going to interact with the kids or even better, when they're going to interact with the adults are going to interact with one another. Because seriously, Kate, Alicia Silverstone's scene with Mark Evan Jackson is gold. But then so is Mark Evan Jackson's scene with the woman who plays um, Dawn's mother. Mm -hmm. It's just very good. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, if you need to save your budget for that kind of stuff, I'm okay with that. But it, they just, they do feel like a little, the parents do feel like a little bit of an afterthought, but the show's not about them. So I'm, I'm willing to give them some latitude. I would have liked to have gotten any sense of chemistry between Christie's parents. By the oh end, yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. none. <laughs> Why are they getting married? Cause like, I don't feel like the show earned that aside. Like it's, it shows this Christie's perspective on it and she's lashing out about stuff. She's scared of change and you know, all the, she's got all this baggage around her, her piece of crap dad. Um, but it literally just says, well, he's got money and she was really lonely and now she's not, but it doesn't, <laughs> she does something in realty, right? That's what she, her job is. We all know about him is he does business and he has, a bunch of money. And he also has kids. But we don't get to see Silverstone interact with his kids. We barely get to see the two of them interact. And they just have no... There's no chemistry. There's no ease. There's no sense of any kind of a significant or longer-term relationship between them. And it's really weird. Yeah. I agree with all of that. My thing with it is is that I don't know that it matters that much. Yeah. It's um, just, you know. 
You're right. It's not about them. It's not about them. And also just Watson is literally there to talk on the phone from his desk in some office in the house, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and be cool with literally everything that Christy does to him. <laughs> yeah. And she does some like low-key horrible things mm-hmm. or allows through no fault of her own in one instance, low-key horrible things to happen to him. And he's just fine with all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there are hints of it of this should have been a storyline. In particular, like, at the with the wedding episode, there should have been like, wait, hang on. You know you're marrying, like, a multimillionaire? Yeah. Money is not an object, but you also... We should have had a discussion about this when we're talking about how much did you spend on a car? How much did you spend on a wedding dress? These are all things that would have benefited the show to, like, have a conversation about about money. Well, and they start to have it, and then they don't finish the thought. uh, Right. Which I don't... And I don't know how much of that is because it's based on the books, and the books don't have that, or if it's coming in future episodes. But, like, when when there's a little bit of a fight between uh, Christy and her mom on the wedding day about the dress, I kept waiting for the other part of that conversation to happen, where we, we see her, the mom, go to talk to to oh, I can't remember what's his Watson Watson the mom go to talk to Watson about it and then that never happens or I mean I assume it happens off screen and we don't watch it because we're following Christy um and it's just it's so it's just the pacing wise as a TV viewer it felt really weird like again why are you they're showing the gun of the argument and then never firing it in the episode which is weird um. So I'm, I'm, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt based on how they handled other storylines. This is something that will return at some point in what seems like, you know, a very likely season two. Um, so, yeah, that was my quibble with the the parental generation. I actually really liked all the parents, uh, except for that issue. Um, we have to talk about some of these uh, these dynamics. So they really sold the terribleness of the Babysitter's Agency. Very well done. Yes. Clearly there's some deep High pockets over terrible. there. That's fine. It's not difficult to sell anyone on that. High schoolers suck. Yeah. Well, and like the kid, I felt they really earned that. Like, it's not that they couldn't handle competition from high schoolers. There's a place for that. It's that these high schoolers are like making out with their boyfriend while the toddler is outside playing on the street by himself. Right. Like, yes, they're very like they're very noble and justified in their outrage over this. Um, they, they make sure to have them like start out maybe more petty and more like based on their own survival of their club and then like justify everything else by also these high, these particular high schoolers are terrible. So I like that. Uh, did you have an, I mean, we already talked a little bit about Camp Moosehead. Um, I, I did enjoy that camp counselor and just some of the dynamics over in that as well. Did you have other cases of the week? I also loved Bailey. We should talk about Bailey. But did you have any other cases of the week that really stood out to you? Well, I mean, the one case of the week that I think is getting a fair bit of praise and deserves it is Marianne Saves the Day, which is episode four. Yeah. Um, And I think that that episode is really smart in a number of ways because I knew that this was the 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 transgender episode and i was like oh how's marianne going to save the day for this transgender person and i went oh no we're not gonna we're not gonna fall into that weird trope we're not yeah Yeah. which is i think it it helps in two ways one the person she helps is significantly younger than her dawn Mm 
mm-hmm. um, which Bailey. in turn helped. Oh yeah, Bailey. Sorry. So I think that helps with kind of avoid that trope. And then it's less about correcting the injustice, even though it is about correcting the injustice, but it's also about Mary Ann's development in terms of speaking up for her, speaking up and advocating, not for someone else, but also for herself and being recognized for that. And I think that that's really good. And the fact that the misgendering gets like really firmly integrated into that storyline speaks to sort of the care that they take with these kinds of social issues uh, when they do explore them. So I really like that episode. And I think it's the episode where you kind of go, oh, this is what the show is. Mm-hmm. And it generally really works. I think it doesn't always work. I think that there are larger conversations to have with a mom who leaves a middle school babysitter alone until 1130 at night. Yeah. Um, but those are not conversations that Dawn needs to be having with that woman. <laughs> Yeah. So, but that's something for Dawn in the Impossible Three, which is a, just a weird episode. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely can remember particular people I sat for that fit that episode. Um, anyways, memories. Uh, yeah, I think again, there's some like when you're watching it as an adult, I think there's episodes where you go like, oh, there's a lot more going on here that it would be nice to see them crack into, but that would be a different show. So they're not yes. going to do that. And I thought that the way they handled um, just the the information, you know, or, or Marianne's realization that Bailey is trans, um, or because they, they don't even use that. No, no, they don't use. They, yeah. they very intentionally don't, and I think that's great. I think it's it that they just present Bailey. This is Bailey, and um, and here's everything she's experiencing and what she's dealing with. And the parents are like, they let the viewers kind of fill in some of the gaps, but they don't get sidetracked into let's teach everybody something. They just say, Oh, okay. This is Bailey. And this is why her parents are very particular about about who sits for her. And, you know, and I think that that, that was terrific. And they really keep um, the focus on what Marianne is dealing with around assertiveness and being heard and using her voice and also the way that's tied in with her with her mom. I I don't I should have pulled it up. The actress they have in that picture of her mom is one that we all know she she does has done a bunch of stuff. So that means they must be planning to bring her in for season two. And I'm very excited for like some flashbacks or something. Very excited about that because uh, it's like oh her she's great. Uh, for, just for one little picture. We'll see what happens with that in season two. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on for? And I also like that 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 Marianne doesn't then go to the club and say, "Well, here's what's going on with it," because it's not her information to share. So right. she doesn't. Yeah, and what what you I was thinking about um, in response to you was the fact that a lot of how they handle that, and specifically like this concept of we're not going to use the word transgender, we're just going to establish it and roll with it, is that it reminded me a lot of um, how Danger and Eggs handled a lot of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, pour one out for Danger and Eggs, which is never yeah. coming back. No. Um, but is another good example of... We've forgotten that this family-targeted children's show did a lot of this, mm-hmm. and we just went, um, no, it... it 
it didn't. And it's just like, no, 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 it did. It's These things exist. It's very good. It's Go right over it. there. Yeah. It's buried under the Amazon Prime Video content. Nolan, I have Comic-Con art about it. <laughs> I, I do. It's like right up on my wall still. I'm looking right at Philip right now. Yeah. Um, God, I knew you'll watch that show. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the other episode I've seen get a lot of discussion is the one about uh, Claudia's grandma having the stroke and yes. how that's lim- that limits her speech and she's having a tough tougher time with memory and just kind of and she over the course of the next you know like every time you see her in the next episodes she is she's still not completely uh, verbal in the way that she was at the beginning of the season uh, by the end of the season so it it really sticks with a longer like a good recovery a very fortunate recovery for her but not a complete recovery yet or if she'll ever have it i think the way that they handle that it has just a lot of maturity and bringing back her memories of manzanar as a child i think is very potent um and i think really well really well played well done like the writing the performances are really great and it was just even like obviously we're learning a lot about Mimi and Claudia, but I like we learned so much about the sister in that episode. That was actually probably my one of my favorite things about it was getting a stronger sense of is her name Janine. You were saying J- uh, Janine, yeah, yeah. Over the course of of that episode and really getting to see that dynamic play out because she had been very um, very much through how like we see her as her sister and the the Babysitters Club see her until that episode. Yeah. As that person who just sits in a room correcting people's grammar on Reddit. Yeah. Which is, so, which is such a specific dig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that episode's really good for any number of reasons. Um, I think it's, but it's basically just like, here's how we're going to integrate a, co- a quick concentration camp story. Yeah. Into our show. Um, and it was just like, oh, okay. You didn't, you didn't need to... I don't know that you need to do this in season one. I'm glad you did because then it builds on this sort of issue of representation within the show of like, yeah, no, we've got ourselves a diverse cast. Well, that's great. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and the show is aggressively cognizant of that kind of thing with either large plots like um, Mimi talking about Manzanar and like having flashes back to that and her aphasia, aphasia kicking in as a result of her stroke down to um, Richard, the Mark Evan Jackson's character being like the, the braids or the only braids that your mom showed me to do for your hair, which is why yeah. your hair is always like this. Yeah. You could um, you could do it like the stuff with Marion's hair. It's like you can do whatever you want with your hair. I just, I don't, this is the only thing I know how to do. So that's why this is the only thing your mom showed me how to do. And like these kinds of things that really speak to lived experiences of both the characters and their families is what we ultimately should be aiming for when we're talking about diversity on television, not just the physical representation, but the narrative representation and that Claudia and mean Janine, which is the episode we're talking about with the um, Manzanar plot really works well to build all of that and then provide an awakening of sorts for Claudia to, even if as a middle schooler coming up with like a perspective for your art is maybe Mm -hmm. a little soon, but it's good to start thinking about that professional art critic at a children's art show. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. No, that's the, that's the thing though. 
I I was like, yep, that feels right. <laughs> Even if it does seem like way too much. It's like, yeah, it is. It, it is way too much. Um, and yet that still happened. The, the, my favorite thing about the art show, uh, besides the fact mm-hmm. that the art was all actually all interesting and good. I liked it. It was really um, good. Yeah. Was the, the, the babysitters. I don't, it was Dawn. And I don't remember who else just like barely peeking around the corner when Claudia is talking to whoever her crush is. Like, I want to say maybe Jordan. I could be, I might have that wrong. And they just sort of like, oh, she's useless. Oh, this what is she doing? Come on. And like, you, like, cause it's just in the back. You can see it in the back of the frame, but they just, they don't do the standard TV, like poke your head out, but it's really like half your body. So that the audience can see them overseeing it. Right. They just like have part of their heads around the corner. They, it's, it's very, it, it felt very appropriate. Like it felt like something that you would actually see kids doing as opposed to the over heightened, please notice this version that i've yeah. seen in other shows before so there there, there were a lot of those little like detailed um like just character flourishes that that yeah. i actually really appreciated that felt really lived in yeah no absolutely so yeah. yeah so we're on board with the babysitters club listener uh listeners yeah. uh did you have any other final thoughts on this or you know people should seek it out so two quick final thoughts and i tweeted this and i think it's worth saying out loud is that I, I appreciate the Babysitter's Club teaching the youth synergy really early on <laughs> um, because there's an episode that has an unintentional The Floor is Lava reference, <laughs> um, which is just kids shouting at Dawn that the floor is lava. I think it's Dawn um, that the floor is lava, <laughs> to which I went, that is excellent. But then there's a whole, <laughs> there's a small riff about them making a queer eye joke, including that involves Richard going, they're not here, are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, using the cue was great. <laughs> I really yeah. enjoyed that. And um, yeah, no, then they used the music cue in the episode. And I just mm-hmm. went, okay, the youths need to learn about synergy early. And I appreciate that Babysitter's Club is here to do that for them. But no, this is this is very good. I think it's great if you have kids that are like in this age demographic um and i think it's generally pretty fun if you're not in that age demographic my partner and i are both in our 30 mid mid 30s and watched it like you basically over the course of the weekend um and we both had a very good time with it my partner who uh, is a little more familiar with the source text um also enjoyed it a lot so we had a lot of fun but yes no um if you feel frustrated by any of the girls really just power through to the two-part finale and relish the outsider perspective on all of this that Mm -hmm. poor poor camp leader (laughs) yeah when she's they're like it's not fair she's like the world isn't fair you you must already know this right like this can't be the first time you're finding that out, right? Yeah. 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 Rich people get more. That's what happens. It's it's what it is. It sucks. It's how, it's how the world works. Yeah. Delightful. Very fun. Um, so, yeah. I, it's very bingeable because they shift perspective with each episode. So yes. that, that makes it just go down nice and smooth. Um, you could stop and piece it out. But I think actually for me, it probably works best in like a few episode chunks. It'd be easy to lose the momentum if you just watch like one and then stopped. Um, and if you watch it and you're not big on the first episode, power through. 
because like at least give it you know at least to the second or third because the first episode is not great however i do think they sell last thought i do think they sell the whole like landline thing because they're handing out flyers to the community like with a phone number on it it can't be a, a, a like 11 year old's home like personal cell phone number that would yeah. be very bad so yes. i think they did a good job of justifying, like, oh, we have this extra landline that just comes with our thing that nobody uses. Which is such like, a great, perfect detail because it's so goddamn fucking true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 100%. And they're like, yeah, I don't really want to share our personal information on social media. And also, that seems like that's not a great idea, which is 100% true. Um, so, yeah, I think all things considered, they sold that part of it pretty well. And, yeah, we had some fun. So... Well, I look forward to what the show will do in its second season. I had a lot of fun with this first season. And let's uh, let's all get Mark Evan Jackson an, an Emmy nomination, even though he's not going to get one. But it would be cool. Yeah. It's not going to happen for this, but... As well as some damn Amrith. Oh, man. He was so excited about Amrith. God, he's yeah. such a treasure. But Karen is the real yeah. treasure. Yeah. My doll doesn't need prayers. She's an atheist. It's just like, yes. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> Oh, well, and uh, with thanks to Karen, yeah. uh, we'll, we will round out our segment. So thank you, Karen, for being delightful and just super duper fun and the clear runaway breakout star, I agree, of, of the kids in the Babysitter's Club. Um, that'll wrap up our episode. A few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us at gmail.com. We are up in Apple Podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews uh there as well as over on stitcher where you can find us uh and if you do leave a rating review let us know because otherwise we probably won't know that you did so please let us know otherwise we are over on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk thank you so much for a great discussion kate thank you noel and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse